And last week, we started a new series called We Are. And the goal of this series is to walk through the family values of our church. And these family, family values intentionally are not very unique or very revolutionary. The goal is that these would be true of all people who follow Jesus. And what we've done is we have worked to put them together with our own kind of words and language to say, these are the things that we as followers of Jesus are going to align on, come together on. And these are things that should be both personal and communal, right? That these are things that we are because these are things that you and I are. And so as I talk about these things, these are going to be things that are true for followers of Jesus, And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know we are grateful that you're here this morning. And as I'm talking about what it means to live out these values, what I want you to know is that there's always an invitation in to God's family every day. But know that these are things that we aspire to and want to be held accountable to as followers of Jesus. And I recognize that if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, these may be things that don't fully make sense to you or may not be things that you understand why they would be of value to us. And if that's true, that's okay. I want you to know we are grateful that you are here. And so let me, let me walk through what our family values are as a church. These are all we are statements. So we are true worshipers. We are inviting neighbors. We are growing disciples. We are devoted family. We are faithful stewards and we are bold ambassadors. Okay, and so last week we began the process of looking at what does it mean to be a true worshiper, right? To worship the right God in the right way. And the way that we started was by talking about praying properly. And so if you missed last week, um, we have an audio file that I can send that to you if you'd like to get caught up. But this week, we are going to be looking at what it means to be true worshipers by how we read and obey God's word. All right, and so you've got a handout. We're gonna get to the handout here in a minute, um, but it's gonna be a minute till we get there. So I was thinking about this idea of what does it mean for us to be true worshipers in the word? And I was thinking about a conversation that my family and I had at dinner last Friday. So basically every Friday, we try to do something with my parents. And so last Friday, we were at my parents' house eating dinner. And my dad brought up this theological survey that he took from a group that he's in. He goes, man, these questions were interesting. Why don't we read some of them and talk about them? Okay. And they had a very wide range of questions. And we were reading them, talking about them. And eventually we got to a question where the table was split. And um, for the sake of brevity, I won't go into all the details, but we got into this conversation of like, okay, like what, what's the implication of this question? And we started like opening up our Bibles. Like, again, this is not like how all of our Friday night conversations go. Um, it's not how most of them go, but it was my dad's fault. So there you go. And um, we start looking at some verses that speak to the answer this question. And what became clear is that some of the people sitting around the table were, they, they agreed that there were some answers in the verses that we were reading, but they acknowledged that the answers to the question provided tension. They're like, what are are the implications of this? Start trying to talk through that. And eventually what happens is that all of us are grappling with what do we want to be true? What do we wish were true versus what does God's word clearly say? 
And if, you, if you've been trying to follow Jesus and read your Bible, then when you get to these moments, they're difficult for us, aren't they? Like when you get to a moment where something that you thought was true gets challenged, like that's not easy, right? It's not comfortable when something you feel gets confronted, right? And it's not fun to like rethink something that you've held to be true for a long time. And so even if we're unaware of it in those moments where we're making those decisions, each one of those moments when you and I choose to say, do I believe what I think or what I feel or do I believe God's word? Those are moments of worship. Because practically speaking, who we listen to reveals who we worship. And so all of us have to ask the question, do I listen to my own thoughts and feelings more than I listen to God's word? Right? Do, do the opinions of others hold more weight than the commands of God's word? Right? When you go, do you go to the internet to find answers or do you start by trying to go to God's word? Because here's what I've recognized, y'all. It's one thing for us to say that we're a Christian and that we believe the Bible, but it's a totally other thing for us to know God's word well enough to let it guide our life. And so let's acknowledge that one of the challenges of letting God's word guide us is that it is a big, intimidating, and at times confusing book, isn't it? Like, I don't know about you guys, there aren't many books that I read on a regular basis that are that thick. And by if ever, I mean never, okay? There aren't, there aren't, there aren't books that I'm reading that are thousands of years old. Doesn't happen. And if I do, I'm reading the like 21st century Americanized retelling of the book. Because who wants to take the time to like really read Shakespeare as it is? English people, I'm sorry. I'm just saying it. The rest of us, that's how we feel. And so it can be intimidating. It can be confusing. And what, can, what adds another layer of challenge to us is that it is possible for you and I to read the same passage of scripture and come to different conclusions. And so the question we need to ask, right, we acknowledge there's power in reading the scriptures, but how do we read, understand, and apply the Bible rightly in our lives? Right? If we believe it has power, then we have to know what to do with that power. And so do you realize that when we read the Bible, we bring our own thoughts and feelings to what we're reading? Do you realize that when we read, we are coming, most of us, from a 21st century American viewpoint when this book was written to a very different group of people? And on top of that, different parts of the Bible were actually written to different groups of people. Right, We bring our own baggage. We bring our own struggles. And so what happens when you've been having a hard week, you've experienced something difficult, you turn to the Bible for encouragement. What do you do with a, with a verse, say like Philippians 4.13, right? That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Does, does that verse mean that I have everything I need, that I have everything that I think is gonna happen, I have the strength to do because I read this verse? I wish it did. I wish I could put some eye black on and put, you know, Philippians 4.13, Tim Tebow style, and go out there, and that meant that I'd be at a dunk of basketball. <laughs> Listen, I believe our God is strong and mighty. That's not what that verse means. 
right? And so there, it's important for us. It's important for us not only to read God's word, but to know what did it mean to the original people that it was written to, because it's only when we know that that we can begin the process of applying what it means to our lives. And so my hope is that this would ultimately not scare us away from reading the Bible, but that it would give us a hunger to know how to do it rightly. And so this morning is gonna be a little bit different than usual. We're gonna spend some time looking at 2 Timothy 3, which gives us a, a framework for why the Bible is important. But then what I want to do is to actually take some time and practically look at how we study God's word. And we're gonna do that together, okay? And so my goal isn't just to inspire you to read the Bible. My goal is to help you, um, equip you to read your Bible better, all right? So let's look at 2 Timothy 3. It's on the screens for you. It says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. All right, so, so leave that up there. So notice the first thing it says is that all scripture, the Bible, it says it's inspired by God. Here's what that means. It means that other translations would say that the, all scripture is God breathed, that it is breathed by God, meaning that it is God's words. Right, and the way that this worked is that the Holy Spirit supernaturally influenced biblical writers to write what God wanted the people who were originally hearing it and for you and I today to have. And so it is that that lets it be accurate and trustworthy, that it is God's very words to us. And because it's God's words, look at what it says. It can teach us what's right. It teaches us what's not right. It teaches us how to get right, right? That's correction, right? Something is wrong being made right. And then it tells us how to stay on the right track, right? It teaches us to do what is right. It's only the, the fact that it's God's word that we would give so much power to it to say, hey, the Bible said, like God through his word gets to tell us what's right, what's not right, how you and I are made right. And so let me ask you this question. Who determines what is right or wrong for you? Who do you give the authority to correct you? Who has the right to tell you what living the right way looks like? Because ultimately, who you and I allow to tell us what's right or wrong, who we allow to correct us is ultimately who or what we worship. Another way to ask this question is whose words mean the most to you? And so let, let's, let's talk about what, what this means for us. If we believe that, God's, that the Bible is God's word and that it has authority, then if we claim to be followers of Jesus, then his words should have more weight in our lives than anything else. And so here's what that means. It means that if we wanna follow Jesus and believe that his word is inspired, then his word should have the final say on what is right or true in our lives, not our feelings, and not our friends. It means that his word should have the final say on what is wrong or untrue, not our desires and not the culture. His word should be able 
to correct us. Here's what that means, is that it should convict us in a way that leads to action. That when you don't like what you read, it, not your thoughts, has the final say. And when you come across something that seems wrong to you, you should defer to its wisdom and his wisdom than our own. It means that it should have the authority to demand action of us, right? So if if it's supposed to teach us how to do what's right, then we have to be willing to listen what it says. And so if I'm reading the Bible and there's a passage of scripture that convicts me over how I speak to people, then I should be willing to change the way that I talk because the Bible gives me clear things that I'm supposed to do in response to what I've heard, right? Who we give the final say to is ultimately who we worship. And so we, we, we give God's word this authority because it's an act of worship. It's a way for you and I to say, hey, God, I, I want to worship you rightly by agreeing that what you say is true and right, even when I don't want to, right? Like that, that is worship. And the reason we have such a hard time doing this is because if we're honest, oftentimes we want what we think and what we feel and what people around us want from us to be what's true and right. And so we, we worship God by how we come to his word. But if you notice Giving God's word this authority is not just an act of worship. There's actually something fruitful in it. Verse 17 says that he uses his word to prepare his people to do his work. It says God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so here's what that means, is that God has set apart work for you and I to do that in our current spiritual state, maturity, faith levels, whatever, we might not have the ability to do. And one of the ways that he builds us and prepares us to step into that is through his word. And so the better we know God's word, the better we are able to live and work for God. God prepares his people to do his work by his word. Right, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are his worksmanship created in Christ, why? For the good news he's set in advance for us to do. And one of the ways that he prepares us and equips us is through his word. And so the question isn't just, do we read our Bibles? My hope is that the answer would be yes. The, the question goes deeper than that. It's, do we apply and obey the Bible? Right, that's the, that's the bigger question. We can, there are plenty of books that I read. I do not obey every book that I read, right? Partially because some of those books are fiction books and it would go very poorly if I obeyed books that were not written for my obedience, right? So here's the thing, right? It's likely that this is not the first time you've heard somebody say, hey, it's important that you read the Bible. My hope would be that You've you've heard that before and that you are in the process and consistent habit of reading the scriptures consistently, right? My, my, My job isn't just to tell you to read the Bible. My job ultimately is to teach you, to equip you to read the Bible. Ephesians 4, 12 says it's the job of the pastor to equip, to equip the people of the church to do the work of ministry so that the church is built up and strengthened. 
And so the foundation for the work of the church is ultimately to know how do we read God's word, studies God's word, and apply it in our own lives long before we try to help anybody else do the same thing. And so here's what I want to do. I want to spend our time doing this together this morning. And so I don't want to assume, I don't want to assume that everybody in here has a a method with which they read and study the Bible. And so I just want to propose one of them. I say one of them because there are many, many tools. My, My hope is to either give you a new tool or to sharpen a tool that you already use. And so you've, you've got a handout. And as you can see on there, what we're going to do is walk through the, it's called the inductive Bible study method, which really has three parts. Observation, interpretation, and application. Okay, now here's, here's what I recognize. Okay, I feel a little bit like a teacher this morning. Okay, I didn't sign up to be a, a school teacher, but it's going to feel just a tad bit, a tad bit like English class. And here's the thing. That's okay, (laughs) right? It's a good thing that we had teachers that taught us how to read because it helps us to read books that are honestly a lot more challenging to read than, I don't know, what are are some of the books? I don't even remember, what do we read? Allie, what's the last book you read, English class? Oh, yeah, it's a hard one too. But it's not as hard as the Bible. So let's do this. Let's look at observation. All right, when you're reading, what you're doing at first is you are observing. You're asking the question, what does it say, right? This is very simple. My guess is that when you read the Bible, you're already doing this part. If you're not, I have a lot of questions, okay? Right, you're observing, what does it say? What's happening? What's going on? And and we got to acknowledge, in order to answer some of these questions, you may have to refer back to something that's already happened, right? If you want to know what's going on, you may need some context, right? Like the answers to these questions may, may not lie only in the six or eight verses that you're studying that day. That's okay. Just remember, there's a bigger context to what's going on, right? So these are very simple questions. I'm not going to walk through them all because these are easy questions. But notice that we begin to transition from observation to interpretation with the question, why did it happen, right? So we're not just observing what's going on. We're beginning to ask why did this happen? Why is this recorded for us? Because it's important that we before it's important that we understand what's going on and what it means before we jump to application. Which is why we have interpretation as a step. Right? If we observe what's going on but we don't fully take the time to 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 parse out what does it mean, then it's possible that you and I could jump to an application that the writer never actually intended for us, right? And so in interpretation, we're asking the question, what does it mean, okay? Again, simple questions, but what we're looking for is general principles. The way that I like to think about this are they're timeless truths. And what I mean by that is that they're true for all time, for all people, in all places, right? Those are the things that we're trying to gather from the text. And let me just acknowledge is that there are some parts of the Bible that finding the timeless truth can be difficult, right? If you are reading an an Old Testament narrative, there's a chance that the timeless truth is actually only found in like six chapters, not in one chapter or one paragraph. And then there are times you read some of Paul's letters and there's, there's timeless truths every two words, right? It just depends on what are we reading, right? You, you remember when you were studying English, there was this idea of genre, types of literature. The Bible has different types 
of literature within this book. So we're looking for things that are true. And here's why it's important for us to have this step is that the, what, when, when we read the Bible, something cannot be true for me that was not intended for the original audience, right? The, what I apply, what I understand this to mean cannot be inconsistent with what it would have meant to the original hearers, right, to the original audience, And so some, an example of timeless truths, right? God is love, right? That would be a timeless truth. God works to bring people into a relationship with him, right? What, what would you say as we were reading 2 Timothy 3, what would have been a timeless truth or generous, general principle from 2 Timothy 3? Anybody, shout it out. Scriptures God breathed, yeah. What else? Scripture equips us. Yeah, scripture's productive, it's useful, right? And if you notice, even in for two verses, there could actually be multiple principles that we find from it, right? And then lastly is application. So what, what our, our teaching team came up with an acronym, and here's the deal, here's how I feel about acronyms. Turn, yeah, you can turn your page over, you'll see them. Acronyms are almost always cheesy. The question is, are they helpful? Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Okay, so I feel like this acronym of praise is helpful. It's something that if you, if you memorize this, it can help you a- ask these questions of yourself, right? So as we read the Bible, we should, the, the goal is not just for us to take things to do. One of the reasons we read the Bible is actually to learn more about who God is. And as we do that, it should cause us to praise him, right? So the first thing we're asking is what praise should I give, right? But also what did we say? The Bible is useful to correct us. And so when we are corrected, there's sin that we need to repent of. All right, look at, look at A, audience. Asking God, is there something that you're telling me personally? Right, we're, we're, we're creating space to say, God, I want you to speak to me. Is there anything from your word today that you want to impress on me? Right, this idea of being trained to do the right things is, is kind of what why is. What yes should I give? What commitment should I make? What does the passage demand of me? And then lastly, what supplication should I pray for others, right? Is there something that works as you're reading that actually calls somebody else to your mind that you can pray for them as well? All right, and so instead of just teaching on this, I actually want to give us some time to interact with this. And so if you'll notice I, on your handout, there's a passage, Mark 4, verses 35 to 41. And I, I wanted us to pick a story that was familiar to many of us, right? That this wasn't a passage that maybe we had no idea where it came from or where it was, right? This is a story that you've probably heard before. And so what I want to do is, and the reason you have pens as well, is I want us to engage in this to be hands-on learning experience today. So let's do this. Let's read Mark 4. I'm going to read this for us. And then we're going to engage on these questions. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, 
Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Right, so this is probably a story that you've, you've read and heard before, but let's do this. I, I know that oftentimes this is, this is more of a monologue than a dialogue, but let's, let's work on this together. And if you'll permit me, take some time and actually jot down some answers as you hear people say them, because my hope is that this would be a tool that you can use when you're at your home studying your Bible together. So what does it say? Let, look at the 30,000 foot view. Answer this question. How would you title this passage? There's a chance that in your Bible, half the time it gives you an answer to these questions. So there's no reason you have to reinvent the wheel. Jesus calms the storm. I'd say 99.9% .9 of us, if you were open in your Bible, that's what this, that's what this uh, passage is labeled as, right? Jesus calms the storm. Yes, that's a great one. That's, that's timeless. It's in there. They picked it for a reason, okay? That's easy. All right, let's look at some of the details. Who was involved? You can give the church answer right out of the gate. Jesus, yes. Who else? Okay. Anybody else? Other boats. Yeah. So we were talking through this as a teaching team and uh, Pastor Hank was saying he's been teaching this, like through this story for like 20 years. And he's like, no one has ever mentioned the other boats. But guess what? Chandler's been in the room with him, so he cheated and said, other boats. But here, here's the question though, for real, as we talk about observation, when you've thought about this story, how many of us have ever seen that there were other boats potentially present to this? I had, I had never seen that, which is, I mean, it's, it's awkward because there's even parentheses, right? Like Mark's like, hey, just so you know, there were other people here and we just read it and we miss something that's plain to us, right? All right, so what's going on? Tell me, like, what, what is happening in the story? There's a storm, great. Again, we're not talking about things that are really difficult, guys. Right, there's a storm, what else? They're in a boat. Jesus is asleep. That's kind of important. They were headed to the other side. What'd you say, Sabrina? The disciples were very scared. They were obeying the Lord. That's right. Yeah, he said, hey, we, like, we're going. They're doing this at his command. That's important, right? You can see how even taking the time to work through observations and seeing that one is going to impact ultimately as we get down to application, right? Okay, when did it happen? In the evening, right? Just think about this. Think of, just take a moment. Set yourself on the, on the stage. How many of y'all have been out on a lake at night? Okay, well, got some head nods. Right, like in the middle of the day, this would be scary. Evening's coming. Well, that, it changes things a little bit, right? Right, I think that if, if we wanted to, we could probably actually try to see, I don't know, it, not every time do we get a chance to see this, but it's possible if we read back a little bit in Mark, maybe we would know what time of year it was, right? All right, what about where? Where is this happening? 
yeah? I mean, ultimately, yes, right? This is another example where it doesn't, it doesn't say specifically we're having to go backwards to get an answer, but yes, Sea of Galilee. So let's ask this question. Are we close to where the religious center of Israel's nation was? No, right? We're very north, right? So think about this. Jesus is doing all this work, showing off his glory, and he is miles and miles and miles from the epicenter. He's miles from Jerusalem here, right? So just, again, all these things are helpful for us to note as to where it is. All right, here, let's, let's, answer, let's answer this one. This is where we're starting to have to move towards interpretation. Why did this happen? Another way to think about this is, why did God make sure that we got this story? Why does it happen? Yep. Teaching about faith. What else? <clears throat> yes. We get to see Jesus's power over creation. That's right. Those are the two that I came up with. So there may be more, but those are the two that I was thinking about. All right. So let's do this. We've, we've observed the text. What are, what's some timeless truths that come from this story? Jesus is faithful. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's there to maybe ask us questions about our faith. What else? I can only imagine how terrified the disciples were. Like, who is this man? Yeah, yeah. Some of it is just teaching us who Jesus is. That he's bigger than the storm. That he can calm the storm. Right, what about, what about the, the first question that they ask him? They say, hey, don't you care? Right, here's what's so fascinating. Jesus does not answer the question with his words, but he clearly answers the question with his actions, doesn't he? Right, this is there to teach us that we can trust Jesus in the storm, that he cares and that he knows. Another one that I think is fascinating is verse 40 says, he says, why are you afraid? And then it says in verse 41, they were absolutely terrified. So how is it? Just go with me here. They're in the storm. The, the boat's filling with water. It says they're afraid. Jesus calms the storm and they go from being afraid to very afraid. Right? Here's what's interesting, okay? Like, I don't expect us all in a moment to know these kinds of things, but that kind of question would make us go, hey, are these words the same? And if you actually looked, these are two different words to describe being afraid. The first is this cowardly fear, this dread, this feeling that I'm going to die in this situation. The very afraid is actually speaking to the awe and the reverence that they're experiencing. So notice this, there's a legitimate fear that they're facing. And yet when they see who God is clearly, their awe of him is actually to a greater degree even than their fear was when they thought they were gonna die. Jesus increases faith in spite of our fear. That's good. Jesus increases faith in spite of our fear. That's right. 
That's right, right? So this is where pausing to, to see what are the, what does this mean for us, right? It clarifies how then do we apply this in our lives? And so here's what I wanna do. I, I wanna give you a chance to practice application on your own instead of trying to go, hey, Ben, tell me how this applies to your life and just putting you on the spot on all these questions. Um, I'm gonna spare that of you, but I am gonna give you time to do that. So here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna, we're gonna put a three-minute timer on the screen, and I want you to work through the back five. For you personally, don't, don't worry about anybody else, but take some time and work through application. Can we go ahead and get that three-minute timer up? There we go, boom. I'll give you three minutes, and then we'll, we'll come back together. All right, I recognize that is a longer than a three-minute assignment to think deeply about things and write them down, but really, again, I, I wanted us to just begin the habit of what this could look like. And so here's what I wanna do. In case any of them, uh, you got stuck on any, let me run through a couple things that I jotted down just in case you got stuck on any, right? What praise should I give? Jesus never fails. Jesus is bigger than my storm. Praise God for that. Right? What sin should I repent of? Remember, one, we talked about fear. We talked about lack of trust, failure to obey, right? The, there could be an area of life where we're convicted to repent over that sin. Right, maybe the thing that God spoke to me personally was, hey, Jesus is aware of my storm. And he cares, that's right. Right, for what, yes, maybe it's that there's a specific area that God's asking us to trust him with. Right, and then again, praying for somebody else doesn't have to be complex. It might just be, I'm thinking about a friend of mine who's in a storm and I'm gonna take a moment and pray for them too. Right, it, I think here's what's, here's what's so powerful about this is that there, there's nothing that's, that's mystical about any of this, right? The, the, some of this stuff can be relatively simple, but that doesn't mean it's not powerful. And so I, I want you just to think about and even dream about what would happen if you and I were people who approached our Bibles like this with consistency. Like, just think about for you personally, what would this do for your relationship with God if this is how you approach the Bible every day? Right, just take a moment and think about how much clearer of a picture of God you would have. Right, I think one of the things that we don't appreciate is how if we want to follow God more closely, one of the ways we do that is by seeing who he is more clearly. What better way to see who he is than studying his word? Right, how could that increase your passion for the Lord? How much more encouragement would you get from spending time with the Lord? And how would you experience conviction and challenge in a way that would be productive in your life? Right, but not just for you individually. Think about this would do, what this would do if every time we gathered together, whether that's in a, in a worship service or in a small group, that we were people who were marked by God's word in this way. Right? Just, just think about what would happen if we, when we gathered together, were people who were saturated, who knew God's word, who were taking seriously applying God's word in our life. What would that do when we gathered together? And what would even happen if we had a grasp on God's word in such a way that when you and I interact with each other, it's not our earthly wisdom that is giving encouragement and insight. It would actually be God's word, right? That's, 
That's one of the reasons this is so important, is that it would, it would change our lives individually and it would change our lives corporately because it would change everything about who we are. And so for, for those of us who are Christians, what is one step that you can take in terms of your relationship with you and his word? What's one step? It, it may be big. It may be, hey, I have not been reading my Bible as consistently as I should. It may just mean implementing one of the questions on this sheet to how you read your Bible, right? What's one step that you can take? And then I think it's important to acknowledge that there may be some of us in the room this morning who aren't Christians. And what I would encourage you to do is to read the Bible too, right? My hope is that if you're here and you're not a a Christian or you have questions about your faith, that there's something in you that wants to know more about who God is and what he's like. And if you have those questions, there are lots of places you can go to find answers, but there's one place that's gonna have the right answers, the true answers of who God is, what he's like, and ultimately the work he's doing to bring people who don't deserve a relationship with him back to him. And so I would encourage you to read, read, God, read God's word and don't feel like you have to read God's word in isolation by yourself, that there are people here who would love to come alongside of you and help you. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna get a chance to sing a little bit more together, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go be in the back of the room. And if, you've, if you want to pray together, I'd love to pray with you. If you have questions, hey, you said this thing and that got me thinking about this or that or the other, or you said this thing and... I don't know what in the world you were talking about. It's possible. Ask Lauren, okay? Or maybe you want to know, hey, I'm I'm here this morning and I don't have a relationship with God and I want to know where do I begin? I'm going to be in the back of the room. I would love to talk with you or pray with you this morning. All right, so let me pray for us and then we get to sing together. God, we're so grateful that you want us to know you. God, it isn't lost on me that you went through the process of giving us your word to try to lower yourself in such a way that we could understand you. You gave us your word as a gift, even knowing that we wouldn't understand it fully and that we might take it out of context and use it to say things about you that aren't true. But here's what I know. You are so secure in who you are and what you're doing for us that you are willing to take that risk. So God, thank you for the gift that your word is. God, would you increase our desire to know you to the point where we're willing to spend time reading your word, studying your word, and obeying your word rightly? God, give us an increased desire. I'm asking that, God, that the people in this room would want to spend time with you in your word more than they ever have before. God, your word tells us that We'll seek you and find you if we seek you with a whole heart and a pure heart. So God, I ask that that would be true, that we would be people who seek you, who want to know you more fully, to experience you more closely, and that God, you would meet us where we are as we seek to, as we draw near to you by reading your word, that you would draw near to us. God, we know that your word is powerful and effective, that you want to produce work in us that can only occur from the reading, studying, and applying of your word. God, I ask that the work that you want to do to equip us to be people that represent you rightly and reach this community, God, I ask that you would do that work. 
God, give us open hands, open ears, and open hearts for what you would have for us so that you can mold us into people who know you clearly, follow you closely, and represent you rightly to the watching world. God, one of the good gifts you've given us is your word. And so I pray that you would take away any fear that we feel in studying something that's intimidating. God, I take away, I pray that you would take away any shame or guilt that we feel that we haven't spent the time that we should in your word. God, take all of that our way and let us to look forward, press on, like Paul says, believing that you have something new in store for us. God, we don't wanna grow and get puffed up by knowledge of this world. God, we want to know you more fully by spending time in your word. And so help us, help us, Lord. God, you are good. We're grateful that you would give us your word. God, we don't take it lightly, the fact that generations of believers have not had access to resources like we do. Help us to use what you've given us. And God, as we do this, I pray that you would get the glory, the world would get the good, and that we would get the joy. We love you. In your name I pray, amen.